we have some graduates from high school here at Fountainhead. We're so proud of our graduates. And we have a little special gift for them and a dinner for them as well later on today for lunch. So make sure that you stick around after the closing prayer for we have some a gift that we want to give them and, 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 and uh, some things that we want to say. When our children reach milestones, we're glad, but the feeling is a little bittersweet in a way. Those who have graduated high school recently have reached such a, a bittersweet milestone. My mother and father were visiting my paternal grandmother, my father's mother. And my father's oldest sister was there. I was, I was just a baby. And my mother and father were telling them how good things were. How good life was. And my Aunt Eloise said, Well, you're only on D. And my mom and dad said, Huh? What? She said, Life is like the alphabet and you're only on D. You've got the rest of the alphabet to go. Life is good now, she was saying, but just wait for the rest. Our graduates are on about B. If you go by my aunt's timeline of life, there will be, Lord willing, a lot more alphabet to go. Graduation and our topic today made me reminisce on my very first trip to Washington, D.C., I was by myself. It was during a very trying time in my life. I went to the Smithsonian's National Art Museum where I fell in love with the art of Thomas Cole. Thomas Cole, he was an American painter. He painted his paintings during the 1830s and 1840s. And during a time when America was having a a great awakening, a a renaissance of, of sorts, That day at the museum, they featured numerous works of his. But the one that captured my imagination and attention because of its beauty, because of its size, because of its subject, and and I guess maybe a little bit of what I was going through at the time in my life, was a series of four huge oil paintings. And these things are huge. took up the whole wall. They were called The Voyage of Life. I walked into a small gallery and there these paintings were surrounding me. The first is the one pictured here called Childhood. And as you see, the water is calm. The baby emerges from nothing into a world safe in God's close care. In a boat that that looks ornate, but it looks able to carry the child through life. The next in the series of paintings by Thomas Cole is the painting of youth. Like those here who are young and have reached a milestone, your free will is a huge factor. The future is bright. The future is amazing. Whatever you can imagine is waiting. Your dreams are big and life is exciting. There are twists and turns, if you can see in the painting, that are coming up ahead, but your boat is ready to meet these challenges. The third in the series is called Manhood. Notice how the scene changes. The water is swift. 
the craggy mountains and dark skies make you look and feel small. The boat does not seem so worthy. It's forgotten. The man prays with all of his might. He hopes with all of his strength. The fourth painting in the series is called Old Age. The water is calm again. But look at the boat. Look at the boat. It's beaten. It's worn. But it still floats. It carries the old man to his final destination. He's still looking forward. He's he's still looking up. As the end of his voyage draws to a close. I've used this as an introduction put us all on the same page. A page the older have read. A page the younger will read. That as good as you feel now, you may feel just as bad later. And as sad as you feel now, you will feel just as glad later. In our lives, there is good and there is bad. The good times, enjoy. Enjoy them. The hard times, well, we must go through them. But, as a Christian, you have a way to endure that the world does not have. We do not sorrow like those who have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. This lesson came into focus last November when planning the year's lessons based upon the elders' theme of our faith looks up to thee. If you'll grab your psalm books, number 338, that's where they based our theme for the year, our faith looks up to thee. It's based in, on this number, my faith looks up to thee. And as I was studying for this lesson, as I read the third verse of the song, When life's dark maze I tread, and griefs around me spread, be thou my guide, bid darkness turn today, wipe sorrow's tears away, nor let me ever stray from thee aside. The thought of grief spreading around me made me think, of the paintings by Thomas Cole. The painting of the man looking up in prayer, not rowing, but praying. It's not up to him. While all around him, the grief spreads and the tempest tosses. Lowell Mason, the writer of this song, he prays, Be Thou My God. And I learned something about this song as I was looking at it. The way I sing it, Bid darkness turn today. It should be saying, It's bid darkness turn today. It sounds like I was saying, Take darkness and make it day. No, that's not what he's saying. Bid darkness turn today. I want it to end now, when we're going through grief, we don't want it, we don't, we're not looking for the way out, we're looking for it to end. Today, right now, we don't want to wait. Turn it away from me. 
grief. It's hard on families. It's, it's hard on our bodies. Even in a group like we have here at Fountainhead, on, in, in a group of Christians, grief is hard to endure. Abe Lincoln was a, was a great president, but look at the contrast. Look at the contrast of when he went into office and just five years later, beaten down, worn down by all the things that he had to go through and this country did. You look at this picture, except for President Obama, the other men look worn. They had much darker hair and stood a lot taller when they first were President of the United States. The decisions we make and the grief we bear take their toll on us as well. We can all certainly understand the grief of losing a loved one. Jesus did too when his friend Lazarus died. Jesus wept. But I I want to examine some examples of grief that you might never have thought of before. My heart goes out to you parents whose children are graduating. All of us with younger children are waiting. We see the turbulent waters approaching fast and it seems like we don't have a paddle. You may be grieving today because of family. There is a type of grief that can only come from family. The same situation could happen to a friend and, you know, it just doesn't feel the same as when it happens to family. Family grief can be intense. The Bible is full of examples on how to deal and not deal with life. One of those examples is found in Genesis chapter 5. Excuse me, Genesis chapter 25. We see Isaac, the son born to Abraham and Sarah. He had twin boys, Esau and Jacob, with his wife Rebecca, who's represented in this painting uh, by the painter Tassad, another one of my favorites. And as the boys grew, verse 28 says that Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Esau, at the end of chapter 25, he sells his birthright, which he obtained because he was born first of the twins. He, 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 he traded and sold his birthright for stew. Now, I wasn't there to taste the, the stew, but that does not sound like a good trade to me. In chapter 26, Isaac is having trouble with his marriage. Isaac is having trouble with his neighbors. He's having trouble with his business. But none of these in this chapter is really complained about by Isaac and Rebekah until you get to the end of chapter 26 of Genesis, starting with verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Bere, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. How many times have our children, in-laws and outlaws, who are wonderful, precious, don't get me wrong, how many times have they grieved our minds? We can all understand the grief of mind that family can bring. For Isaac and Rebecca, maybe for you, it is a time, and it's true what Solomon wrote, in Proverbs 17:25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness 
to her who bore him. Young people, be very mindful of your parents. Don't do things that would grieve them or shame them. How do we endure the grief of mind that family can bring? Well, I'm going to give you some points later, but, but a great example of enduring grief that we'll start with is the life of Joseph, Isaac's grandson. He always seems to be a, a half-full kind of guy, a lemons-to-lemonade individual, Joseph is. Treated terribly by his family, treated harshly in captivity, Joseph made the most out of every situation till in Genesis chapter 41, with God on his side, Joseph becomes second in command of all of Egypt. He's given a wife by Pharaoh. And he has two sons. Verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. In the name of the second, he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph gives glory to God as we read later. He gives a willingness to forgive, to reconcile with his family, to laugh and love again. But God gave him a wonderful blessing. Did you notice notice it there? God gave him a wonderful blessing. In the absence of reconciliation, Joseph could forget the grief. Sometimes knowing too much is hard on the mind. It's hard on the body. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 18 of the grief of of wisdom, the grief of knowledge. He says, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I remember my grandmother. And how many, she was a very wise woman, and she went through a lot in her life, and a lot of people used to come and talk to her. And she said to me one time that her burden was knowing too much and not being able to tell any of it. David lamented. If you'll turn over to Psalm 6, David lamented. Listen to the language in Psalm 6, verses 6 through 7. I am weary with my groaning all night. Listen to this. This is great. All night I make my bed swim. How many of you have ever done that before? Cried so hard I drench my couch with tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of my enemies. The eyes have been called the window to the soul. And we can just look into the eyes sometimes and understand how someone's feeling. Grief can damage our body. David wrote in Psalm 31 verse 9, he fervently prays, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. I'm in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul, my body. He cried out to God. And, you know, some of us are are open books and we know each other and when each other hurt. Some of us never open up. But we can all take David's example here on dealing with grief. We can cry out to God when we hurt. He will listen to us. He will listen to us. 
We can cry to Him. We can tell it. We don't have to hold it in. Don't hold it in. And within any group, there is grief. Because groups are made up of, well, us. One of the saddest pictures I've ever seen is this one from the Korean War where a soldier has just lost his best friend in a firefight. He's being consoled by another soldier. The caption says that the medic is, 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 is filling out the dog tags of other soldiers who have fallen methodically the word was used, methodically filling out the dog tags of other soldiers. The grief of that soldier, to me, is unimaginable. But the comfort is so beautiful. The comfort is so beautiful. Just, just look how he holds him. It is the best way to deal with grief in a group. Like soldiers on the battlefield, many times there is grief in the group. Sometimes because of the stance that you take. Peter lays down a principle for Christians a commendable principle, he says. This is commendable. First Peter 2.19 If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Yet in enduring grief, the right motive must be behind it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Second Corinthians. Paul's trying to spare that group sorrow. Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3. And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you should know the love which I have so abundantly for you. When there's grief in the group, especially the church, the best way to deal with it is to love each other. Some of you may be grieving now. The job you're in or, or not in. Your mind is tired. Your, your, your eyes are, are wasting away. Your body hurts. Your family is in a process of change. Or people are not acting the way that you, you know they should be acting. How can we as Christians endure? How can anybody endure that? As we've said, Jesus understands. He too wept. John chapter 11 verse 35. He was tempted. Matthew chapter 4. Hebrews 12, 17 says, in all, the, excuse me, in all things He had to be made like His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that He Himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. 
And we've seen that, that grief can be hard on our minds. It can be hard on our bodies. It can be hard on our spirits. But we can keep a positive outlook and to the point that a blessing would be to forget. The examples have shown us that we've looked at that with the love of God and each other, we can get through the worst times in our lives. We've seen the example of crying to God And Jesus tells us that we can certainly ask the Father for joy and peace. If we ask in His name, John 16, 24, our joy will be full, John 16, verse 33. In Him we have peace. The world has trouble, but Jesus overcame the world. How do we continue to move through grief when it's upon us, though? We continue to obey. John chapter 15, verses 10 through 11. Then we have God's love. Then we have God's love and He will give us peace that passes understanding. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. We pray and we obey and we continue to believe. You know, that's what keeps us in the boat. Battered and used as the boat is, that's what keeps us in the boat. That faith. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said He was going to prepare a place for us. And if we continue to believe in His resurrection, we don't have to be like those who have no hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Jesus is coming back after His. 1 John 3, verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. On this earth, we pray and obey and believe our way through grief. We can lean on a provided family. The church in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 is that provided family. Here we have bunches of moms and dads and brothers and sisters. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. We can weep together, Romans chapter 12, verse 15, share together. And if one suffers, we all suffer, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. Together we find comfort in our God and we find comfort in ourselves, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Sadly, many do not take advantage of the blessing of family. And when, when grief spreads around them, they have to bear it alone. But whether you're on A or Z, whether you're at the beginning of life's voyage or near the calm waters of the end, in the dark maze of life, you do not have to endure the tempest alone. If you are grieved in mind, body, or spirit, if you are grieved because you understand that you have no hope outside Christ. Are you ready to turn your life over to Christ today? If you are, come forward now as together we stand and sing.